This is the Eye on Potatoes, brought to you by the National Potato Council. The Eye is the place to tune in for conversations with growers and thought leaders on advocacy, production, and all things potatoes. Now, here's your host, Lane Nordland. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Eye on Potatoes podcast. I'm Lane Nordland. Today's show is going to center around food labeling. With that said, I'm going to take us all back to a more simple time. Just a few months back in January of 2020, before COVID-19 changed the world that we are all living in. It's a conversation I had during the 2020 Potato Expo in Las Vegas, Nevada. The guests include Tyson Redpath with the Russell Group and the National Potato Council's CEO, Cam Quarles. Again, it's a great conversation discussing food labeling and much more. Again, it's going to be a great show going back just a few months to the 2020 Potato Expo held in Las Vegas, Nevada. As we continue our conversations surrounding the nation's potato industry, one of those key areas that farmers, retailers, and consumers discuss quite a lot is food labeling and safety of the nation's food supply. And today we're going to have a great conversation about food labeling, safety, and the food supply chain here in the United States. And happy to be joined by Tyson Redpath and Cam Quarles here today. Gentlemen, how are things going? They're going great. Uh, it's Las Vegas. Uh, it can't be anything but great, right? <laughs> well, if you're hitting those numbers on the roulette table, it's always it's always great. Uh, we, of course, are sharing this show at the 2020 Potato Expo at the Mirage Hotel. Uh, Cam, how's the expo been going for you and your crew here as uh, we move into 2020 and uh, look towards uh, look towards the future? It's pretty impressive, Lane. So we've got the biggest expo we've ever had. We've got the most attendees, the most exhibitors. There's a lot of great energy in the room. We get to have these great conversations with you and Tyson. So it's kicking off. Things are starting off pretty well. You know, they really are. And uh, just some great conversations with producers. It's been great to meet so many uh, uh, industry leaders from across the nation here this week. And one of those areas that many of them are talking about uh, for and really the, the work that you two do in Washington, D.C. on their behalf is food labeling and safety. But Tyson, uh, you are with the Russell Group out in Washington, D.C. For our friends at home that maybe aren't familiar with what the Russell Group is, could, could you talk about your role, the group itself, and, and how you assist the National Potato Council? Absolutely. So the Russell Group is a food and agriculture government relations firm uh, that has been in business since 1985. Uh, and... Uh, all of my colleagues and myself uh, have a passion for agriculture. Many of us grew up on farms. Uh, and our focus uh, and our uh, policy expertise uh, lies almost exclusively in food and agriculture public policy. Uh, and very proud to represent the National Potato Council uh, as their professional advocates in Washington, D.C., so as we look at these issues, we talk about labeling. One issue that we were discussing before we started today's show was biotech labeling. And that can be confusing for consumers, uh, for producers, and for all parts of the supply chain. Gentlemen, could you break down that aspect of labeling, and then we can lead into other labeling discussions that occur out, out in the Beltway on behalf of producers? Sure, I'd be, I'd be happy to start, Lane. <coughs> um, and I'm, I'm very glad that Tyson's here. They do, Russell Group does a fantastic job there. I keep referring to it in military terms. They're a force multiplier <laughs> for, our, uh, 
for our work that we do back in Washington. We've got uh, a small, small, very focused staff on the Potato Council, and we need great uh, collaborators and teammates, and the Russell Group provides us with uh, fantastic uh, advice and access to a variety of different Hill offices and and uh, folks down at the agencies that we deal with every day. So, and uh, one one of the um, one of the key pieces of it was began as legislation, and now it's moved to the rulemaking process. Um, it's it, it, people refer to it as the GMO bill. It was the Biotech Disclosure Act. Um, the Russell Group coordinated uh, a, a huge number of agriculture organizations that were working through um, how to deal with first the legislation around that bill and uh, now as we're getting into the implementation phase, making sure that the definitions are right so that the, in, the intent of the bill is fairly implemented with the least burdensome impact on producers and also the most valuable information that's conveyed to consumers. So, um, Tyson, maybe you could talk a little bit about how both the legislative side evolved and now where we are with the regs. Yeah, thanks, Cam. And certainly the legislation, I think, was one of the marquee accomplishments uh, for the entire spectrum of food and agriculture, uh, both growers uh, producers all the way up through the continuum to retailers and certainly food manufacturers. Um, so uh, as your listeners should know, or as folks should know here, um, Vermont uh, passed a mandatory uh, GMO labeling act that would have required all products, all food products, food and beverage products sold in the state of Vermont on July the 1st, 2016 to bear a uh, uh, clear label uh, denoting to the consumer uh, what, if any, GMO ingredients were included in that food or beverage. Um, certainly, uh, the, the, the threat of one state, uh, a state with something on the order of uh, 400,000 residents dictating to the rest of the uh, 320 million people living in the United States that labels required for disclosing GMO ingredients uh, was something that I think all could agree, at least in the food and agriculture space, uh, was problematic. Um, and so uh, with uh, the July 1st, 2016 date looming, uh, a, a broad coalition uh, came together advocated before Congress a national, uh, what is now called BE labeling standard, um, which interestingly enough went into effect, uh, implementation anyways, went into effect on New Year's Day this year. The compliance date uh, for uh, all of those covered is actually January 1st, 2022, uh, but the implementation went into effect uh, 15 days ago. Tyson, refresh my memory. So Vermont was basically the prime mover in this whole thing, but then how many other states had either passed bills or had them in the shoe? I mean, we were looking at a bird's nest of state regulations that would just make interstate commerce nearly impossible, correct? Yeah, for sure. And then and then complicating matters, Cam, is even in that northeast corridor, you had uh, states like Connecticut, which had um, passed uh, mandatory 
GMO labeling laws contingent upon three other states, I think in this case New York, uh, maybe Massachusetts, uh, and another New England state enacting it. So there, it was just this, uh, you know, uh, uh, treasure box of complicating state laws. I think at one point there were over 27 states uh, that were considering mandatory GMO labeling. So walk us through just the process that you and your team and the collaboration with the National Potato Council, really how you, you start that process of really addressing that issue and all the work that goes into fighting it. Yeah, I think what's critical is first educating members of the House of Representatives and the United States Senate um, on, on what those complicating factors are pursuant to a law. Um, and educating those members of the House of Representatives in the United States Senate on how it impedes our ability to grow uh, as farmers and our ability to, uh, to do business. Uh, in this case, a, a very clear example of interference with interstate commerce. I mean, I, I thought one of the more fascinating aspects of, of some of the com- those complicating factors we were able to identify, I think, two, if not three, labeling manufacturers in the entire United States. So if you consider every food, beverage, and consumer product uh, having to bear a label, uh, you know, I suppose one should have gone out and uh, bought stock in. I don't know that these labeling companies are even publicly traded, but certainly it was going to be an enormous windfall for the Uh, less than a handful of labeling manufacturers that could actually produce labels for all products in the food and beverage segment sold across the U.S. So it's things like that, right, that that when you you pass something that's two-dimensional on a piece of paper in black and white and you call it law, understanding how that impacts in in our three-dimensional world uh, our ability to farm and our ability to do business I think that's step one and probably the most critical step. Obviously, it takes a lot of relationship building and being able to go into these offices of our elected officials. That's a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. And I think sometimes that gets overlooked by folks in the countryside. Could uh, both of you just talk about that aspect of the job and getting out there and uh, just the importance of being uh, boots on the ground up on, on the hill? Sure. It's one of the single biggest challenges I think we face, and it's across agriculture. This isn't unique to the Potato Council, but the the churn that you have in Congress, new members coming in, um, the staff members that necessarily follow them. Um, a lot of those folks, they're very well intended, but they may have uh, a passing relationship with production agriculture, maybe no relationship whatsoever. And so we kind of start from the ground up. We um, want to serve as a resource to them um, in helping them understand. Uh, today we're talking about labeling, but this goes for trade, nutrition, uh, why a farm bill is so important to get it right, um, why disaster relief programs matter so much, why agriculture is so different. We're not building things in a factory. We're growing them outside in the dirt. Um, a lot of people just simply, you know, the, the, the fact that our supermarkets have such a 
such a robust stock of all these great things, 365 days a year. Folks, they, it, you know, often if, if you're not coming from a rural area that's got a connection to agriculture, um, a lot of these processes and why these programs, why the Department of Agriculture exists, it kind of gets lost in the shuffle. And so we, we, we start from an educational point of view. Um, and part of that education is it's great events like today that we're sitting here in the Potato Expo, but our state association meetings, we're going around the country and talking to producers. What's impacting your lives? What, what matters? And then Tyson and I also, we spend a lot of time on the Hill. Um, sometimes we're knocking down well-intended, but maybe uh, ideas that may have some unintentional, unintended consequences that may impact the industry. We're trying to advise producers on what's coming down the pike, um, how they can either improve or discard those ideas. It's really a two-way street. We kind of, uh, we're, we're, we're standing in the gateway of an information flow both from, from production agriculture to Congress and the regulators and the other way um, to try to make sense of all this morass of regulations. You know, to, to, to put a, a couple of, of, of finer points on what Cam just said, we're at the dawn of a new decade. If you go back to 2011, there are over 370 new members of the U.S. House of Representatives. I think I actually undershot that a little bit. But the point is, over the last decade, you've had tremendous turnover, especially in the U.S. House of Representatives. You know, look, Congress is a slice of America. Members of Congress come from all walks of life, all business acumens. Some haven't even been involved in business. Uh, some are farmers. Most aren't. Uh, and, and so that, that, that education curve um, is, is made even more important when you think about how many new members of Congress have been elected over this past decade. Um, it, it, it really is something. And then you think about, at the same time, the surge in social media and what members of Congress now have to pay attention to. Look, I, I think social media has some wonderful benefits. And I would point out that it has opened uh, the legislative process to more participants than ever before. I, I would ask anyone to come to Washington, D.C., uh, throughout the course of the year and walk the halls of, of the congressional offices uh, in the office buildings that Cam and I walk, you will see constituents, advocates, interest groups representing virtually every sector of the economy and virtually every walk of life. Um, so it's a wonderful thing because it, it is not a right reserved for the privileged. Anyone can come to Washington and have their voice heard. The flip side of that is we have to work even harder at making sure the voice of potato growers rises above all of that. And that I just I completely agree with that. That that's maybe part of what gets gets missed is that we are in an intense competition with other agricultural groups, other interest groups who may not be a fan of American agriculture. Um, this is this is a competitive landscape, and we put on the pads every day and, and get out there and get after it. Um, and if if folks don't view it that way, um, it's it, it, they're 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 missing a key aspect of this because um, there's an old cliche that if um, 
if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And it really is true in, in our business. So when we look at specifically labeling and the work that your teams uh, uh, put behind that, labeling can be either very concise or it can be very confusing as well. What are some of the priorities and some of those key areas to make sure that labeling is, uh, is clear and concise and following the policy that is set by your organization? What are some of those key issues you're working on in that labeling arena right now? Well, I, I think kind of a great case study in that lane is uh, some work that Tyson is doing on uh, consumer product labeling uh, legislation. So, Tyson, you want to walk through some of the the challenges that you're trying to address with Capital? Sure. I, I And I think, Lane, that we've done a real disservice to the American consumer, uh, in particular over the last three or four years, um, with the, just the surge of labeling requirements and proposed labeling requirements, particularly at states and even at the city level. Uh, we have really devalued uh, the, the currency and the, the meaningfulness of labels when, you know, for example, the state of California requires warning labels on any products uh, containing one of over 900 substances, including things such as aloe vera. I mean, my God, we can't even rest knowing uh, that aloe vera is safe um, when when uh, when you have warning labels now required on products with that. So, um, and then, you know, it, it goes from coast to coast. New York, San Francisco, Baltimore have all proposed warning labels on sweetened beverages. In San Francisco, to prove that labels take many shapes and sizes, the requirement was billboards. Uh, you, you had to take a billboard space in the city of San Francisco uh, to warn consumers uh, uh, about the so-called hazards of sweetened beverages. Uh, so um, in conjunction with things like the Smart Label Transparency Initiative, um, last year legislation was introduced um, in Congress called the Accurate Labels Act. And it really is, in my, in my mind, trying to correct uh, some of the labeling malpractice that's pernicious throughout uh, some of these states and cities. And so um, the clear, accurate, common sense product labels that I think we all seek uh, and frankly that consumers are entitled to in this day and age when transparency is paramount uh, in what we grow and what we sell in the consumer product space. Uh, so this legislation would amend the Fair Packaging and Labeling Act a, a dusty old law from 1967, two years before we landed on the moon, uh, and, and really set forth criteria for labeling rules, uh, additional labeling rules at the state and local level, and ensure that those requirements are grounded in science. And, and I know that term gets thrown around a lot, but we're talking about established science, right? Science that's based on peer review, uh, that has has been has been thoroughly vetted, contemplated, um, not not some trial lawyer, bounty hunter, uh, you know, sort of voodoo scare tactic science. Actual grounded science, um, and so uh, you know we look forward to that legislation uh, again being introduced very soon uh, in the House and Senate, 
Um, and, you know, we think it sets forth uh, something that's important, which is to make labels matter again. Uh, and I think that's the most important thing is so that consumers know that when everything is labeled, and I mean everything, it devalues greatly the information that we're trying to get to consumers. Uh, I just as an anecdote, um, you know, I grew up in California, and I, I remember when Prop 65 was being implemented. And the strangest sign that I saw was on the jetway at LAX, and it said, you know, effectively this jetway could cause cancer. It's hazardous. And I thought, well, so my options are to stay on the plane or just throw myself to the tarmac. I mean, either one of them seemed un an unproductive exercise. So I didn't know the value that I was getting from that from that sign. But, you know, as, as Tyson said, it is, is that truly informing consumers and providing them with, with choices that they can make about their lifestyle or, or just uh, uh, serving as uh, perhaps a, a trial lawyer's dream to, uh, um, to be out there uh, initiating legal action against entities who um, otherwise are sincerely trying to comply with a morass of laws that, at the end of the day, produce nothing of value. Some would call it fear-mongering as well. Yes. So, obviously, uh, there's a lot of work, but progress is being made. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, that, that effort's going to be pushed to, in Congress here very soon uh, with those acts. Uh, Cam, Tyson, is there any other areas you want to touch on within labeling right now? Or are we going to continue to obviously follow this conversation on the podcast? But anything else you want to bring up for our listeners here today? I, you know, I, I just think the, um, the it, it's a really valuable exercise that um, that we're going through um, on 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 Capel, um, providing consumers with with useful information that realistically defines and allows them to make lifestyle choices is. Um, Th those are those are beneficial things to do, um, but as you say, the fear mongering it just serves no productive purpose. And um, you know, much like the uh, the the work that went on, I think Capital is trying to de de is trying to define kind of the playing field for this at the federal level. Um, the the morass that we were facing of state laws on. Uh, biotech disclosure was really going to be um, a challenge for the industry to implement across American agriculture, especially as these new technologies are coming online. So um, setting some reasonable rules of the road uh, is a valuable is a valuable exercise. The thing I wouldn't want to miss in all of this, and you know we it, this is part of the stuff that Tyson and I live every day. The first thing, if you need legislation, is passing it through Congress. The second part that's even even more important, and this goes for a farm bill, this goes for a Child Nutrition Act, is getting the regulations right so that the intent of Congress actually matters in the real world. And that, often that can take years. With, with the Food Safety Modernization Act, that was passed a decade ago, and they're still implementing the regulations. So um, the, the regulatory process can often take a heck of a lot longer than the legislative one. Yeah, and look, we, we live in the age of, of everybody having at their fingertips the ability to call up any information uh, about anything uh, that, that's consumed, grown, sold. 
Um, and and we welcome that. I think the one thing that as an industry we need to fully embrace is we want to be as transparent and as upfront with that consumer as possible. And and we absolutely intend to live by live by that covenant. Cam and Tyson, we've had a great conversation here today, and I know our listeners out in the countryside uh, see the value, uh, of course, uh, the National Potato Council, but also just this reaffirms your commitment to them and working on their behalf. Uh, any last words? I'll give you both the floor before we wrap up today's show. Uh, I'm going to go throw a bunch of money on red, so it was great being with you. Well, red 23, just straight up, throw, throw a quarter on there. Lane, it's it's great to see you. Thanks for being at the expo. Glad, glad Tyson's here too. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. It's been you, great. You bet. And again, for our friends, if you would like to learn more about the efforts of the National Potato Council, you can visit them online at nationalpotatocouncil.org. Again, a big thank you to Tyson and Cam for joining us on the podcast. Again, this show was recorded right at the beginning of 2020 there in Las Vegas, Nevada at the Potato Expo. As I mentioned, for more, visit the National Potato Council at nationalpotatocouncil.org and make sure and subscribe to the podcast today. I'm Lloyd Nordland. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the National Potato Council's Eye on Potatoes podcast with host Lane Nordland. For more information, visit nationalpotatocouncil.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.